with me in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 19. And we started a uh, series last week called Stewardship. And uh, we're going to continue in that this morning. The first mindset of a steward that we talked about last week is how important it is to have this mindset that it doesn't belong to me. And if you don't have that mindset, you're, you're automatically disqualified as a steward. That, that mindset is what is really one of the things that qualifies you. In other words, if you hired someone to manage or take care of your stuff, but then they think it's their stuff, well, automatically they're, they're, they're disqualified. You don't want the person who's been hired to take care of your stuff to think it's their stuff. That's going to be very problematic down the road. It's the same, same thing with God. God, that's how God sees it. You don't own anything, not even your very life. Now, he gave you a free will so you you can choose to use it how you want, but there's going to be a day of accounting for that, right? If it were truly yours, there would be no day of accounting because you're not accountable to anyone. You could do whatever you want with it. But the fact that there's a day of judgment and a day of accounting shows us God's expectation. It shows us that actually... We are just stewards for him. And this is the first and most important mindset of a steward is that it doesn't belong to me. And and, and thinking of that with your gifts, your talents, your time, even your spouse. I know we can go on with that, but before before your spouse is yours, so to speak, they are a son or a daughter of God. And this mindset helps us handle these things correctly. So this is the first hurdle you have to overcome if you're a Christian. And I've seen many Christians that have been Christians for a long time and they still haven't got over this hurdle. They still don't know this. Or at least they still don't live like this is true. Maybe they know it up here, but they don't live every day with that understanding that it doesn't belong to me. My life doesn't belong to me. My money doesn't belong to me. My time, my energy, my gifts do not belong to me. They belong to God. And I want to find out what He's expecting me to do with those things. Amen? So here's, here's one of the principles of stewardship. When you're doing a good job with stewardship, you're entrusted with more. When you are not doing a good job with stewardship, then even that which you have will be taken away. That's a, that's a principle that Jesus talked about. So this mistake can easily be made that you think, well, because I've worked really hard, right? I, I've invested a lot of time, I've worked really hard, I've put in a lot of effort, then I'm somehow entitled to this stuff. Well, in John chapter 19, Pilate made that same mistake. And I want you to notice how Jesus answered him. And in John chapter 19, Jesus is having an encounter with Pilate right before he's crucified. Now, keep in mind, Pilate, it was not easy for Pilate to get to the position that he was in. He was in the Roman Empire and he had worked his way up. No telling how many years he had put in trying to get to the position that he was at. He had a lot of power and a lot of authority, and that was not given very easily in the Roman Empire. And uh, not only was it not given easily, but it was taken away fairly easily. In other words, you made one little mistake, it, it could be taken from you. So he had worked really hard to get where he was, and he probably had some pride in that. And this is the encounter he has with Jesus in John chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus entered... Uh, or Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Well, this kind of miffed Pilate a little bit. Because in his mind, Jesus is in the ultimate vulnerable situation, right? He's, he's very vulnerable. 
Pilate can make a decision to kill him, let him live, release him, keep him in prison. Like he has just total authority and you're just at my disposal. You are so vulnerable right now. So Jesus doesn't give him an answer and Pilate's kind of miffed. He says, you'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is so ironic because Jesus said something else, but I, I'm not sure what he could have been thinking in that moment. He could have been thinking, do you not know that I have authority to throw you into hell or not? <laughs> and you're talking to me about authority? But see, Pilate didn't know this. But it didn't change the fact, right? It didn't change the fact that, it, that, that, that their relationships were not as Pilate was seeing it. He said, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Now, that's true with authority, but it's true with a lot of other things, too. All the things that we take pride in. All the things that we think, well, I'm good at this, or I worked hard for this, or I'm this type of person. Yeah, and it all came from God. It all came from God. And you wouldn't even have breath in your lungs. You wouldn't even have your heart beating right now if it weren't for God. And the more you see it like that, the more God can use you. The, the less you see it like that, the less valuable you're going to be in the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah, you'll build your own kingdom. You know, you'll build your own world. But as far as actual impact in the kingdom of God, you won't have it if you don't have the correct mindset. So the first mindset is it doesn't belong to me. Which brings us to the second mindset that is critical for stewards. It doesn't belong to me. It was all given to me and therefore it can all be taken away. This is the second mindset that we have to live with as stewards is it doesn't belong to me and it can all be taken away. I don't know what it is about the human heart, the sinful nature of the human heart, that for some reason, in order to be truly thankful for things, a lot of times we have to lose it first. And it's sad that it's that way, and I know that it's not the will of God. It's not what God wants, which is why he brings the warnings and the correction and the opportunities, because he doesn't prefer to bring the consequences, kind of like you with your kids. You know, I'd prefer me to tell you, hey, don't do this, or I'd prefer to say, if you do this again, this is going to happen, and you just listen to that. But if not, consequences have to come. It's the same with God. It can all be taken away, but that's not his preference. I mean, he gave it to you because he wanted somebody to oversee it. He gave it to you because he believed that you could steward it well and use it for his kingdom. So he doesn't want to take it away, but never forget this as a steward. It can all be taken away. Unfortunately, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity many times to sit with people that have had it all taken away. And that's not ever a pleasant experience. But I've had the opportunity to sit with many people that have, all, that have had it all taken away. And they're on the other side of it. And you usually get two responses from that. And I'm, I'm sad to tell you what the first one is, okay? Uh, the most common response when someone has had it all taken away and they've, they've lost everything is actually, first, the most common is to blame others. It's still not actually to take responsibility and to acknowledge what got them in the situation that they're in. Most of the time you sit with somebody that has lost everything, has had it taken away, they are still 
blaming others. It's someone else's fault. They are still not repenting of their, of their sin and what got them in the situation in the first place. But I'm just going to hope and pray that there's nobody in here, so we're going to move right on to the second one, which is the second most common response is regret. They have regret because they look back and they go, if only I could have seen where I'm at now. If only I could have felt what I'm feeling now. If only I could have experienced. If only I would have known. Actually, all the things I was ungrateful for, I should have been so thankful for. If, if I had known what I know now, I would do different. But see, that's the problem. You can't always go back and redo it. Sometimes, once you've lost something, it's gone permanently. And, or at the very least, it takes you time to work and get it back. So, God's will and plan is not that we would live from a place of regret. And it's so hard to get this through to people sometimes because we can be knuckleheaded. But we don't, God doesn't want you to live from a, a place of regret. In other words, if you're one of those people that the only time you learn the lesson is from a place of regret, you're going to have a really bumpy ride. If, if only time you can ever see it clearly is when you're on the other side and you're looking back and going, oh, man, I wish I'd done this. I wish. Now I can see it so clearly because, well, they say hindsight, 2020, right? You look back, it's clear then. Yeah, but the wisdom of God and a humble heart and spirit can help you learn the lessons on this side before you had to have it all taken away, before you lost everything to learn the lesson. Some of you grew up in a family where you had multiple kids, and usually in a family that has multiple kids, there's, there's a lot of times one kid that has to learn it the hard way. And then there's usually one kid sitting back watching that one learn it the hard way, and they learn their lessons. They go, oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, don't talk to mama like that. You know, oh, that's a bad idea. How do you know that's a lot better way to learn? lot better way to learn, to, to learn on this side, not having to have to lose everything first. But here's what I want you to understand. You've been given a lot, and you have a lot to be thankful for. You have a lot that you're overseeing. And the first thing you need to realize is, number one, it doesn't belong to you. And number two, is that it can all be taken away. And some people may say, well, that sounds like a threat. Well, sure, if you want to say that, it can be. I don't have a problem with that. It can be a threat. Uh, but, no, not really a threat, more of just a fact, more, more of just a reality. I want you to look with me in Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to look at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar this morning. If you were in life groups a few years ago, we went through the book of Daniel and studied some of this. But King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the earth. And I want us to read his story this morning because it's so insightful. Daniel chapter 4 verse 1. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. So Nebuchadnezzar is actually telling this story. Even though this is in the book of Daniel, Daniel's not the one actually telling this story. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this part. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace... I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And so we go through this whole, you know, song and dance of King Nebuchadnezzar trying to get people to interpret it. None of them can interpret it. And that brings us down to verse 10. And he's telling Daniel what's going on. They finally call in Daniel to interpret the dream. And here's the dream. 
Now, as we read this, I want you to see yourself. I don't want you to see King Nebuchadnezzar because he's already dead and gone and his lessons have already been learned. But what God was showing Nebuchadnezzar through this dream applies to you this morning, applies to me. This is still how God works. So he says, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree is you. It was Nebuchadnezzar. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was, f- was fed from it. Look, this is where many of us may be at in our life right now, or, or at least we were at this place at a particular time in our life where everything was good, right? The tree was big and tall, it was strong. There were birds in the branches. We were given shade. We were feeding others. In other words, people looked to us and we were in a place of position, power, influence. Life was good. And again, you could be there today. But some of us are on the other side where we're looking back going, well, that was me. And then something happened. It was all taken away. Verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said this, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So basically you have King Nebuchadnezzar who was ruling, reigning, very powerful. But you had God who was watching him. And then literally it's what it calls the, the angel. It says it was a watcher, a holy one. Someone that had been watching and observing his affairs. We don't know how much time had passed, but King Nebuchadnezzar had been king for a long time. And all this time, heaven was watching his life. All this time, heaven was watching, and records were being made. An account was being made. It was being written down in God's book. So out of that, there came a moment where a decree was made over his life. After a period of time in watching, maybe you could say period of time to repent, period of time to change, period of time to acknowledge what God wanted him to acknowledge, which we're going to see in a minute. There was no change, and so the proclamation came, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatters fruit. Now, you would think for someone as powerful as King Nebuchadnezzar and powerful as the nation of Babylon, that this couldn't happen instantly, right? You would think, it took so long to become that powerful. It took so long to get to that position that, you know, it's not going to just happen overnight. Well, with King Nebuchadnezzar, it did. And in this case, it wasn't Babylon that fell. It was just King Nebuchadnezzar. But there are also times in Scripture where entire nations fell overnight like that. The, ba- the Babylonian Empire was one, but it wasn't at this moment. So the decree came chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Now, again, I don't want you to think about Nebuchadnezzar as much as I want you to think about yourself. 
living with this mindset, it can all be taken away. With fear, well, healthy fear, yeah. There's an element of, of fear. There's an element of fearing God in a reverent and holy way. But no, not with so much as fear, but just with an understanding of reality of going, hey, God wants me to prosper and be blessed and be fruitful and, and bless those around me and bless his kingdom. But if, if I persist in not stewarding this correctly, yes, it can all be taken away. And that's a good thing to keep in our minds. So the decree came, the proclamation came over him. And, and I'm sure like Nebuchadnezzar, he's wondering, you know, why is, this, why is this happening? Well, to simplify it, in some way, he's been disqualified. In some sense. God has watched his life and he's, he's looked and he's persisted in a particular way. And so he's been disqualified from the position that he'd been entrusted with. And this can happen to any of us. Now, the good news is you can requalify. And if we get to the end of the story, that is what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. He does requalify. But please, mis- please don't misunderstand this. Whatever you've been given, you can be disqualified from. Whatever you've been entrusted with, you can lose. It can be taken away. No one is above that. Verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. And now he tells us why. He says, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So he says, there's a purpose in what I'm doing. I need Nebuchadnezzar to learn a lesson. And what I want him to learn is that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. In other words, it doesn't belong to you. We already learned that lesson. It doesn't belong to you. And it's something that you can qualify for or be disqualified from as God sees fit. Verse 18. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw... And you, O Belshazzar, that was Daniel's name, uh, his Babylonian name. And you, Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The reason was because he knew what the interpretation was, and he didn't want to tell the king. (laughs) Because he's a very powerful man, and he knows it's about... (laughs) I'm about to have to tell him something that's really hard to hear. So his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. But the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, it is you. O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men 
and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall not be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel... This is, the, this is one of the most important parts of what Daniel had to say. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And this is the point. Is that even at this point in Nebuchadnezzar's life, it was not too late. Even at this point, even after the dream, even after the interpretation, it, he could have followed what Daniel told him to do. He could have repented and changed course. And I believe that he would have actually stayed in his, in his place. And what's so important for us to understand is that this is the process that happens in our life. It's not God's will that we be punished. It's not God's will that we, we would uh, live these consequences out. It's not God's will that these things would be taken away from us. That's, that's not the will of God. The will of God is that we would repent. And we would turn, that we would acknowledge who God is and who we are. See, even in this statement that he keeps mentioning... It, he's wanting Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge something. He's wanting him to acknowledge who God is and who he is. He says, he wants him to know, you are the most high and I'm not. I'm under you. I'm submitted to you. So even at this point, it was not too late. And that's the point of the dream. That's why God gave him the dream. If he didn't want, to, if he didn't want him to change, he could have just enacted the consequences immediately. He didn't have to take time to give him the dream. But he did. He took time because he wanted him to change. And let's pause there and think about your, your own life and your own self. And I want you to think about where are you at in this process? You know, God's entrusted you with so much. God's given you so much. Are you, are you in a place with God where you're moving and advancing in your stewardship? Or are you in a process where you're losing what God's called you to be a steward over? And what I would encourage you to do, because I see people as they persist in this path, and they experience little consequences, little, little problems, little difficulties, and instead of changing course, they keep going. And there are some that they, when they get those consequences and they see which direction and what's coming out of it, they totally change course and go the opposite way. You've got to ask yourself, what kind of person are you? Are you one of those hard-headed people that have to get all the consequences? You've got to be slapped around first? Or can you make adjustments on the front end so that you don't lose what God has entrusted you with? This is God's heart for you. This is what God prefers for you, is that we would change through instruction. We would change through words. We would change through warnings, not through consequences. Now look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. Now, why at the end of 12 months? You know, God said that these things were going to happen. He'd been warned about these things. Why at the end of 12 months? Because even after the dream and after the warning, God still gave him space to repent. 
he still had 12 months to do what Daniel said. He still had 12 months to repent and change. But even after 12 months, he had not changed. He'd made no change. He'd made no repentance. So, at the end of 12 months, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Now, this is the words that came out of his mouth. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Essentially, he lost his mind. Now, remember, he's the one telling this story. Somebody's not telling this story about him. He's relaying this. This is almost like a journal entry. He's writing, this is what happened to me. So what happened? Man, he lost his mind. God took from him his mind. He was, he was like he went insane. He was living out. In the, he was living out in the forest. He was crawling on the ground. He was eating grass off the... You know, his hair had grown out. His fingernails had grown out. He was like a wild man. And he stayed that way for seven years, living in that state. Now, before we finish the story and find out what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, let's notice a few things from this passage. Three times in this passage, we read this phrase, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. In other words, until you know God's place and until you know your place. Until you know that and until you learn that, this is the process you're going to go through. And this is what I want to ask you this morning and ask, ask us to look inward and ask this question is, what does it take for you to know? What does it take for you to know that and recognize that? What does it take for you to learn that lesson, know God's place and your place? Because there are some people that it takes a lot. You know, and I look at Nebuchadnezzar and I go, man, this, this, this took a lot. This was kind of an extreme thing, right? He basically lost his mind. He's crawling around on the ground for seven years. He had to walk this out. What does it take for you? How much does it take? Are you the type of person that you can adjust course with just a gentle nudge, gentle correction, maybe even just a little bit of conviction in your spirit? Because if that's all it takes, that's all you're going to get. Are you the type of person that's learned when your, your conscience is speaking and you go, oh, I don't think I should do that? Oh, I don't think I should go that way. You can just listen to your conscience and that's it. Boy, that's a good place to be in. That's a real good place to be in because you won't ever walk through this kind of stuff. You know, we've all, if some of you, as we're talking through this, you're probably thinking about some of your kids because I know as I was studying, I was thinking about my kids and I'm thinking, you know, kids are different. And you have some, uh, 
that, you know, you barely have to whisper to. You barely have to speak to. You could just kind of talk a little bit stern and they start crying, <laughs> you know. And they just, they just adjust and they do. And, and then you got some that you've had to, you've had to you pull your hair out figuring out how in the world do I get through to this one. I've tried everything. I've grounded. I've spanked. I've taken away. You know, I've, I've yelled. I've done everything I can do that I know to do. And they still, well... First of all, if we were talking on a parenting series, I would talk about how important it is to get control of that while they're young because that can be bent towards God in a good way, but that's another sermon. But for us, our hearts towards God should be tender, pliable, sensitive, that when we do wrong or something's not, or we make a mistake, because see, this is not about being perfect. This is about persisting. In a, in a direction and persisting in a way. It's not about being perfect. It's about when you make a mistake and you get corrected by God and the Holy Spirit convicts you, you go, I'm sorry, that's, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go this way. See, David wasn't perfect, but the Bible talks about David being quick to repent. It's quick to repent. In other words, man, I did this. I never want to do that again. I'm going to stop doing that. The people who have it all taken away who lose their stewardship over things. It's not the people that are sensitive in their spirit and they quickly repent. It's the people that persist no matter what. They override their conscience. They override wise counsel. They override people that God sent across their path. They, they override small consequences that happen. Oh, they got caught, they got found out. They Oh, this, and there was a little consequence, but you still persisted until the, you lost everything. That is not the heart of God. That is not what God wants for you. What we have to learn to do as stewards is, let's make the adjustment before we get to that point. Let's repent. Let's, let's be tender, humble, submissive to God and repent before we get to that point. So three times in the passage, God's trying to get this across to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, we're, we're going to go through this until... You know something. Well, if he'd learned it on day one, that's probably as long as he'd have been out, but it took seven years for him. He said, until, this is going to go on in your life until, until you know something, until you've come to a certain conclusion, and that is this, that the most high. Now, let's talk about that phrase, most high, because God refers to himself as a lot of different names in Scripture, a lot of different titles, but this is one, and it's called the most high. The Hebrew word is Elay, and it literally means the, the pinnacle, the highest point, the, the, the point that it would be impossible for anything else to be higher than. So imagine like the tip of a pole or like a flagpole, the very, very tip top. It's the Elay. It, nothing can be above that, and that's how God refers to himself. He says, I'm the most high. And essentially what he's saying is, Nebuchadnezzar, you might be high, but I'm the most high. You might be powerful, but I'm the most powerful. You might have riches, wealth, great influence, but I'm the most high. And even those that are the most high on this earth are submitted to the true most high. And again, this is a mindset that you have to walk through daily life with. This, of course, is the opposite of arrogance. This is the opposite of pride. This is the opposite of, of esteeming yourself above others and seeing yourself a certain way. Listen, pride is offensive to God because you don't have anything without Him. 
Pride, the Bible says that pride comes before a fall, meaning God is the one who institutes the fall as a result of our pride. He said pride goes before a fault, but he pushes forward the humble. He advances the humble. He lifts up the humble. But pride, he says he's going to bring pride down. He will literally take it upon himself to oppose those who are prideful. And they will experience a fall. See, that's not the Pride doesn't go hand in hand with the mindset of a steward. Humility goes with the mindset of a steward. Because a steward says, I don't own this. I'm taking care of this or some, for someone else. By default, that's, that's humbling. By default, that's a position of humility to acknowledge this isn't mine. I actually don't have my own stuff. I'm taking care of someone else's. You know, if, you're, <laughs> if you are in that position as a manager and you're taking care of someone else's stuff and someone comes along and they go, oh, man, that's a nice, that's a beautiful, nice BMW that you have there driving today. It looks so shiny. You go, yeah, it's not mine. <laughs> I'm taking care of someone else's. That's humbling, right? Instead of taking that, you know, if you were having to do that for someone else, that's humbling versus being able to say, yeah, that's mine. Here's how I got that. Here's how I pay for that. Here's what I do. Well, that's, that's way different than a steward who just says, no, that, I'm taking care of this for someone else. It's actually not mine. So he says, we're going to go through this until you learn a lesson that I'm the most high and you're not. You know, I don't know in God's eyes that there's really much difference between all of us as humans. In other words, we look at ourselves like, oh, I'm up here, you're down here. It's almost like in God's kingdom, we're pretty much just all down here. I'm not saying there's not little differences because the kingdom of God, there is some of that in the kingdom, but we're, we're pretty much just all down here. But God is way, way, way up here. And one may be a little higher than the other, but God is so far above. And when we try to make big of our little differences, God's going, you hadn't learned the lesson yet. You haven't learned that I'm the most high and all of you are down down here. Now, it's not that God wants to constantly reinforce that in our lives because God wants to bring us up. God wants to, actually most of what scripture talks about is our position in Christ. Mostly what God wants us to talk about is, hey, you're a son, you're a daughter of the king. You're, you're bought and paid for with the blood of Christ. He wants us to see ourselves with that. But the problem is when you have pride in your heart, you, you really almost can't accept that the right way. It's through a place of humility that you can accept that. That understanding that I'm a son and daughter of the king. So he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to understand this. And, and this goes for, for every human being. We live in a place of humility, understanding that he is the most high. He's the most high, not us. I will say this. I do think that King Nebuchadnezzar actually got off easy. Because there are other people in scripture, like for example, Pharaoh. Where Pharaoh had to endure all the plagues and still didn't get it. Still didn't know who was the most high. Still chased the children of Israel all the way to the Red Sea, which, by the way, when he got there, the Red Sea had been parted right down the middle, and there was walls of water on each side. He still didn't know who the Most High was. And he sent his chariots off through the middle, and, and they had, the walls closed in on him and killed him and all of his men. Yeah, sometimes that's what it takes for people. That, so, in a sense, Nebuchadnezzar actually wasn't even as bad off as Pharaoh. But I still don't want to be either of them, right? I'd... <laughs> I don't want to be either of them. I'd rather, 
I'd rather know my place way before that. Verse 34. At the, end of, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed who? <laughs> he knows now. He knows now, but this is what it took for him to know. At the end of it, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. His, his, his mind came back to him, and he said, I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, let me tell you that those who were around Nebuchadnezzar would have been shocked by this change. If you served in his palace, or you were another nation that went to war with him, and you'd seen him previously, who he was then and who he was now, it would, be, it would have been so night and day, they would not have believed the man that was standing before them, the change that had happened in him. The humility that had happened to him. How do I know that? Because he never would have been restored back to his place had that not happened. He would have remained. God never would have brought him out of that, that punishment in that wilderness time unless he had learned who was the Most High and who he was. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Amazingly, God wasn't through with Nebuchadnezzar. God still had plans for Nebuchadnezzar. So if you if you found yourself in that place where you go, Man, I've made some mistakes. I've, I've, you know, I've botched things up. And, and I'm in this place where it just things have fallen apart. And I've lost everything. And I've, I've been my own worst enemy. It's not over for you. It's not over for you. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some residual consequences that you have to walk through, but it's not over for you. God, if God can restore Nebuchadnezzar, he can restore you too. It's not ever too late for anybody. But you will have to come to this same place that Nebuchadnezzar came to, this place of repentance and humility. So he said, we praise the God who is the Most High, who lives forever. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, he doesn't answer to anybody, but I do. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom... My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me even than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So for Nebuchadnezzar, not only did God restore him back to his place, he actually blessed him beyond where he was at before he fell. Now, it doesn't always happen like that, and there was probably a long road to get there for that. But the most valuable thing, and if Nebuchadnezzar could explain it to us, I mean, you can see this in his language as he's writing here, the most valuable thing to Nebuchadnezzar was not even that he got his kingdom back. The most valuable thing to Nebuchadnezzar was that lesson that he learned, was the change in character. 
that he experienced because of what he had to walk through. Now, what about us? What about us? Because I think that there are people in this room that are all along this process. Maybe you're at the, maybe you know you're younger and you're at the very beginning of acquiring some things in life and you're beginning to get established. You're getting a good job and good home and you're getting, acquiring some wealth. You're getting married. You're raising a family. You're sort of at the beginning of that and you're, you're being asked and called to be a steward over all of that. And if you handle that right, and you do it God's way, that'll only grow and increase all of your life, all the way to the end. And when you get to the end, you'll be, you'll be a grandpa, you'll be a grandma sitting on your porch, happily married, grandkids all around you, financially stable, blessed. That's what God wants. That's the trajectory that God wants for our lives. But for a lot of people, somewhere along the way, they botch the whole thing up by their own choices. And it doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't happen instantly. What happens, they begin to get off track. And God, because he loves them, they'll, he'll warn them. He'll correct them. He'll, bring, he'll give you opportunity for change. But when we persist in going that way, so many times those consequences come home all at once. And I've seen many, many, many people in my time lose everything because they persisted in a particular direction. So I have, a, I have my message this morning is this. If you're on, we'll say, this side of it, man, you need to be grateful and you need to use a lot of wisdom with how you walk and how you choose and how you follow God and how you treat His Word and, and how, you, how you cling to His Word. Whether you let sin hang around in your life whether you, what, how you handle temptation, how you handle a prayer life and, and a relationship and devotion with God, it matters because you, God's will is for you to stay on that trajectory to where you arrive at the end of your life and everywhere you look all around you go blessed, 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 blessed. Coming in and going out, I'm blessed. But some of you, you veered off. And you're, you're almost, we'll say, pre-Nebi. You're pre-Nebuchadnezzar. Right? You haven't lost everything yet. But you veered off. And now this is one of those warnings this morning. That may be of one of many that you've received. Or, or maybe there'll be more. But you, you haven't lost it. And you can still correct things now. You can still repent. And if not, you're going to look back on this day. And you're going to remember it. And you're going to look back on other days that are like it. And you're going to remember it. And you're going to be in that place of regret thinking, I wish I had heeded that warning. I wish I had made that change. Or maybe you're here and you're on the other side of it and you're one and you have lost things that were very important to you. You have lost things that were very valuable to you. And you're already in that place of regret. Here's what I can tell you. The same things that you should have been doing before you lost it are the same things that will get you out of your situation going forward. It wasn't too late for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't too late. As soon as he turned and repented, God ended up restoring everything to him and even more. Because that's God's heart. That's what God wants. So it's not too late. 
What's the worst thing you can do if you have lost everything? Or if you've lost a lot, what's the worst thing you can do? Well, worst thing you can do is harden your heart. Worst thing you can do is get mad at God. Worst thing you can do is blame other people and point the finger. Well, it was their fault. If they hadn't done this, listen, that's the wrong path. You're driving yourself further and deeper into your situation by doing that. That's not the answer. The answer is to repent and acknowledge your fault and your sin. The answer is to repent and plead to God and say, God, I want to be different. I want to change. I don't, I don't blame anybody for this. This is my fault. And to repent and let God begin to take you through a process of bringing you out of that situation because that is, that is his heart for you. He doesn't want us to experience punishment. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is if you are on, let's say, I keep pointing over here, but it's, you know, but it's an imaginary spot. But if you keep pointing over here and you're on this side of, of you know, losing everything and, and you're on that good trajectory, please realize what you have. Please realize what you have and that it needs to be protected and guarded and fought for. You know, I heard one time uh, a minister talking and he, he was talking about, uh, you know, being in the ministry and this church had grown and, and everything was, you know, really good. And and he had asked his mother, who was much older at that point, you know, hey, because she had been in ministry and she was a wise woman. And he asked her, he said, what, you know, what do I do? What is the most important things I, that I need to do to hold on to, to what I've got and what God has blessed me with? And she just looked at him and she said, don't be stupid. That's all. <laughs> just don't be stupid. <laughs> and I actually thought, I was like, that's actually really good advice. So much of our things in life that are bad could be avoided if we just won't be stupid. We just make wise choices, good choices, right? Realize what we're doing. And again, that's what God wants for us. And so let's work with God. Let's work with God to establish that fruit in our life. Amen. Amen. 